Welcome to Chit Chat, a judgment-free forum for conversation around hot topics that impact the Indian American community. Today we will be speaking with Kulpreet Singh, the founder of a Canada-based organization that supports and advocates for those with mental health illness called the South Asian Mental Health Alliance. Thanks for joining us today, Kulpreet. Hi, thanks for having me. So what inspired you to start the South Asian Mental Health Alliance? And what exactly uh, does the South Asian Mental Health Alliance provide? I actually uh, grew up in Canada. I was born and raised here. And I did quite well in my younger years in education. But as I went into graduation of high school and post-secondary, I struggled a lot and I couldn't figure out really what the reasons were. The second or third year, I decided to go into um, the... Uh, labor market instead I started to do my own business and do e-commerce design uh, website design and um, that's when I uh, got referred to a counselor to a therapist when I was working in kind of the corporate environment I had a lot of struggles with deadlines and keeping up with things and I couldn't figure out what the reasons could be until finally at the age of 25 I got diagnosed with ADHD and um, it made a lot of sense for me it helped to clarify a lot of things for me around my habits and my coping mechanisms. However, uh, some people that I encountered in the mental health care system and in the medical system also downplayed uh, my ADHD or stigmatized it. And that made me feel inspired to kind of think about what could be done within the community to prevent other people from going through that. And also uh, one of the considerations into that was how a lot of um, immigrant uh, South Asians and second generation South Asians and in general um, racialized people from all communities black indigenous and people of color communities face systemic obstacles in getting health care and a lot of times their symptoms are stigmatized or not taken seriously and so because I encountered some of that I felt inspired to um, do some something. And then in terms of how you uh, asked about our work, we do knowledge translation within the community. We started out by doing the first South Asian mental health community conference in North America back in 2010, about 10 years ago. And uh, at that point, there was not a lot um, happening on that scene, but it's really amazing to see how now there are a lot of different organizations from coast to coast, from country to country, whether it's um, in the US or the UK or Canada or Australia um, that are focusing on mental health. And it's becoming a much more mainstream discussion in the South Asian diaspora. In the Bay Area, um, there is one called My Sahana. Um, and there's another one called the Sick Family Center in the Bay Area. Um, in the, on the East Coast, there's uh, Samaj, there's Chai counselors. I think in Texas area, there's one organization called Manmukti. So they do a lot of outreach work as well. I find that this concept of mental health as a legitimate healthcare need is sometimes dismissed in our brown community, and particularly with our older generations, our grandparents, our parents. So how do you suggest we we speak to our parents and older generations about this stigma attached to mental health care? I think that a lot of the issues that we deal with, but with regards to the symptoms of mental health are already uh, discussed in South Asian communities, but we usually use like somatic symptoms. So we talk more about how your body feels. We use those to reference 
the symptoms of anxiety or stress or uh, depression, uh, such as your heart sinking or your shoulders being tense or you're having neck stiffness or you're having uh, butterflies in your stomach or having a really heavy headache or a feeling of heaviness that doesn't allow you to get up, uh, feeling like the whole uh, world is empty or there's no meaning. We don't attribute them to um, mental health. And a lot of doctors have reported that as well when people who speak uh, South Asian languages, they go to the doctor and they report these somatic symptoms. Some of the roots of it can actually be based in anxiety or depression. So mm -hmm. kind of doing a reverse engineering of that for second generation South Asian youth or third generation, when we're talking to our parents or our grandparents, we can start from the physical and, and then we can talk more about the very basic emotions. Sometimes we look at our own culture and our own traditions with a, a colonial lens and we try to other ourselves. We think that it's not in our culture, but it actually is a lot of our scriptures, whether it's in Islam or Hinduism or Sikhism or Buddhism, they actually do mention emotional health, mental health, feelings. I think we don't know how to translate it back to our languages. So if we do a little bit of that homework, we'll be able to uh, build those connections with our elders and have those conversations. And I never thought about it in that, in that sense that sometimes it's just about translating the language and we always describe the physical symptoms, but we can never easily connect that to the emotional struggles as well. Do you think it's difficult to speak to some community members because it's not tangible, right? You know, the feelings that you have, sadness, anxiety, depression, you can't, you know, describe that. You can't really show them to anyone. Do you think that that makes it seem like it's almost just not believable? Um, I, I work in healthcare and I've come across a South Asian patient at some point who uh, presented a medication to me, which he says was for stress, but the medication indication was for bipolar disorder and schizophrenia. You know, it, it was clearly from a more serious mental health illness, but I found that those words uh, didn't mean anything to him. So I wonder how much information he was given. In general terms, a lot of our science, uh, arts, education is based on English language. We frame it according to the DSM that's for uh, psychiatry here in the West. And different countries have different models. And so if you're dealing with doctors and clinicians in the West, they're going to use these terms. They're going to use this terminology. So it's important to educate our parents on how to translate that terminology. This individual just thought that they were getting medication for stress, but it was actually for um, bipolar disorder. But the word bipolar disorder may not have a significant meaning for them. There may be a way to translate that terminology for um, their language in terms of what does mania mean and what does depression mean and how can you go from mania to depression and what are the symptoms of that and why would you need medication for it and how can you get counseling to support a healthy lifestyle and when we're able to translate those things to them it kind of opens up a whole new scope of conversation where you can openly talk about the symptoms our parents and grandparents generation when they struggled and they came to the West, they didn't want to be labeled because they're already struggling to get recognition. They're already struggling to settle. Um, they're already struggling to get a job or to feed their family. And so on top of that, having a label um, could be, you know, a damage to their reputation or to their self-esteem. It is a big issue because I've noticed over like the last 10 years talking about this is that so much of our science and so much of our academia is based on uh, Western knowledge, right? And so then even the terms that we used are 
based in that. We look at our own Eastern culture and we almost scoff at our Eastern professionals and say, well, you don't have a term for depression. You don't have a term for uh, bipolar. But the reason we don't have the terms is because that's the way the system is built, right? A lot of the terminology is created in the West. So we could we can do the work, like the second generation, third generation youth can do the work to create those terms and to make it more accessible to more people. You mentioned that within our own culture, the notion of mental health is actually really deep-seated. Um, when you think about, you know, Hinduism, and then even if you think about practices to help um with mental health like meditation and mindfulness is there an opportunity to use that as a venue or as a channel to communicate with um with people who maybe are in denial that mental health is something that's really important to pay attention to are there certain examples that we could kind of bring into our everyday life um, that make that connection more overtly if you talk about any faith tradition and you use some of the examples of the founders and different anxieties or stresses that they went through and how did they relieve those anxieties and stresses um and you know it could have been through uh prayer it could have been through meditation it could have been through congregation it could have been through moral support from peers and from family members trying to use those examples and then apply them to our day-to-day modern life a lot of scriptures talk directly about Uh, anxiety and about sadness and trauma if the prophet muhammad peace be upon him or if krishna uh, avatar or ram or if guru nanak dev ji or guru gobind singh ji if they were living in 2020 in this form that we have how would they advise us around mental health if we look at our own scriptures from all different faiths they all talk about the Um, moksha or mukti or freedom of the mind the essential root of all of those religions is back to the mind there's so much that wealth that can be found in the eastern culture as well and translating that when people think about you know depression or bipolar or or adhd or or anything like that i feel like they see it obviously as a as a weakness um and it's just i think difficult to kind of get past that just like i have brown skin i have you know adhd how can you explain to your friends and family um, that it's not necessarily shameful to own a, a mental health condition? One of the things is that like a lot of times we think that it's something specific to our community. So now with the rise of the Black Lives Matter movement and people um, finally making space for the Black community to address their traumas and concerns and the violence against them. One example is there's a YouTube channel called How to ADHD. She gave a special episode where she talked about uh, Black people with ADHD. And one of the introductory comments on there from one of the individuals was, mental health doesn't exist in the Black community. It's something that you can't talk about. What resonated with me is that for the last 10 years, that's the thing, same thing I've heard people say about the brown community. And the reality is no community is talking about this enough. It's a very stigmatized topic across the board. Making it more accessible and less stigmatized, I think, is by showing those role models. Even celebrities from uh, Bollywood or whether it's within the West, if our parents' generation or our grandparents' generation resonates more with someone who speaks their language, um, you know, you can search South Asian mental health, and you'll be able to find examples of people sharing their story. 
And when we listen to other mm. people sharing their stories, it makes people more comfortable to have those uh, conversations. From Bollywood side, Deepika Pandagone is very vocal about mental health. Um, and I personally found that to be quite inspiring. Do you actually think that that is making a difference and it is helpful? Because I live in Canada, I can't speak for um, the general population in India that's more exposed to her conversations, but I think that definitely it does have an impact. I notice in our community outreach, we used to go out to the mandirs and the um, gurdwaras over here in mm -hmm. uh, Vancouver and Surrey. We used to go out to different conferences and talk about it with individuals and people were very closed about it. They didn't want to openly discuss it 10 years ago. Now when we bring it up, uh, it's gotten to the point where people are very comfortable opening up about it and sharing stories of their relatives who might be struggling and who need a counselor. Unfortunately, right now in British Columbia, we are having an overdose crisis. More individuals are being impacted by um, opioid overdoses than by COVID-19. And they have actually looked at how the South Asian community is being impacted by this overdose crisis. The professionals here had previously felt a little bit apprehensive about doing direct harm reduction work in places of worship. They thought that it might be something that's too taboo, but some of our uh, organization's youth ambassadors have been directly going into places of worship, teaching people how to administer naloxone, what an overdose is, what you should do in the case of an overdose. And people have been very open to that information. And, you know, they have said that even within places of worship, they have found people in the bathroom stalls who have overdosed. It's kind of like a snowball effect. Once you start having the conversation, people open up more to it. Once they open up, then they ask more questions. Then they get more knowledge and they share that knowledge and it just grows from there. Do you think there's a reason specific to our culture and background that has put South Asians at a higher risk for opioid use and overdose? Definitely, there are a lot of factors at play. Um, there's systemic racism that makes settlement difficult for international students and labor workers. There are some types of uh, systemic issues when it comes to labor rights and employment rights that makes financial situations for new immigrants tougher. Also, thanks to uh, Black Lives Matter, when it comes to um, the caste system or when it comes to different kinds of communities discriminating against each other in the East, but, uh, you know, ignoring that kind of discrimination in the West. And then also, I think uh, a big part is the language gap. People, sometimes they don't know how to navigate the system. And it, it's up to um, second and third generation people who are settled here in the West to kind of make the system navigation easier for new immigrants so that they don't feel lost. In the last few years, I've been writing a book about loneliness. And I'm just curious if that's something that you guys have, have worked with. I've seen time and time again that they point to how loneliness leads to depression and how it it's a fairly large factor when they're looking at opioid addiction and a number of other mental health problems. Social isolation during COVID has caused a lot of people to regress to um, habits that they might have been able to escape if they had supports around them. You can clearly see um, you know, who is resorting back to 
substance use and who is making sourdough bread, right? Like it's a economic thing, it's a class thing, it's um, a social support thing. One of the things that we have done for the last eight years is we moderate the mental health forum on Reddit. It's not targeted directly to the South Asian community, but it does uh, support a lot of individuals with socialized isolation who are needing and needing some kind of support or they don't know where to reach out. And when we started moderating that subreddit, we had around 400 members and we now have over 160,000 members. That is one way that people have been finding peer support. Last year, we started this program where we give mental health skills training to young people. And we currently have 44 uh, youth ambassadors. And from that training, they have become friends with each other. They have become each other's support system and they have also gone out into the community and become leaders of conversations on mental health. In doing these retreats and training programs, have you found that there are um, mental health issues that South Asians in particular disproportionately experience versus other groups? Substance use disorder, especially with regards to alcohol. In Vancouver, we have a higher Punjabi community population. Um, Opioid use and alcohol use disorder are uh, affecting a lot of Punjabi uh, individuals. I think that would be a problem here in Hong Kong as well, actually. I don't know if it's a coping mechanism and it's more acceptable. It's also a kind of socially acceptable Mm self-medication. Even our culture, Bollywood uh, movies and music, they kind of promote that drinking culture as a way of celebration. Not to say that it's only there. Casual drinking is also part of our corporate culture. It's part of our college culture in the West. The blending of those two cultures makes for a really dangerous mix. Personally, I've witnessed um, individuals in my extended family who have suffered immensely from mental health disorders. And unfortunately, it seems like it was something that was so taboo and so stigmatized that it was unfortunately only addressed at a later stage in life. What it made me think about was, oh my gosh, how do I prevent myself or anyone around me that may Maybe we're not showing extreme symptoms of some of these disorders, but how do we start to think about mental health a little bit proactively rather than reactively? When it comes to youth, like I have the privilege of teaching in an elementary school, and this year for the first time I had the opportunity to do mental health uh, workshops for our students. We watched a clip from the movie Inside Out. That cartoon really covers the basic emotions uh, effectively, talking about anger and sadness and disgust and joy, discussing how do those emotions present themselves and what causes those emotions to come up, and then feeling comfortable to talk about those emotions what other words we can use for those emotions as they get older, how we can start writing about those emotions. If their parents have the time to kind of create that 10 minute, 15 minute check-in every day uh, where they have that opportunity to draw a picture and to write what kind of feelings they had that day. And then at the end of the week, doing a little bit of an inventory and seeing why were you having consistent feelings of fear this week what happened what came up and that's one way for um, parents to check in with their kids but it's also one way for kids to have that resiliency and that self-awareness to know what their emotions are and what they can do when they start seeing a trend and then also teaching them about 
coping tools. So having your own toolbox and asking them, what would you put in your toolbox when you're having this emotion? And how would this thing help you? And when you think about toolboxes, what are temporary tools and what are long-term tools? So a temporary tool is having a bowl of ice cream and you know having uh, watching some TV, but a long-term tool is uh, having a good, healthy uh, conversation about it with someone that you love and you trust. And so differentiating between healthy coping mechanisms and unhealthy coping mechanisms. And as they get older, then bringing in substances to that, you know, whether alcohol is healthy or unhealthy. Well, also not moralizing them, like not saying necessarily that it's good or bad, but whether it's healthy or unhealthy for them so that they can make those decisions and see what would be the consequences of their decisions for their mental health. I really uh, appreciate the idea of the toolbox and the tools. I know that's meant for the youth, but I find that so helpful even for just myself. And I think a lot of adults could benefit from that. Thank you so much for joining us, Kulpreet. Recognizing that many mental health diagnoses come from the Western world explains how much may get lost in translation when speaking to the South Asian community. With patience, tolerance, and a little bit of creativity, we can start having more productive conversations about the importance of mental and emotional health. Thank you so much for tuning in to our latest episode of Chit Chat. If you have any questions for the Chit Chat crew, have topics you'd like us to discuss, or just want to share your feelings, please feel free to email us at ilovechitchat at gmail.com. Don't forget, chat is spelled with two A's. Talk soon.